Hey Amy, it's April 19th, one o'clock here in Austin. It's rained all morning and now the sun is out. I so appreciate your letter. Um, I'm sure it wasn't an easy one to write. And I'm curious about your family's furniture, what items you brought back to Istanbul and what materials they're made of and um, what other letters that might be in your possession. I welcome more stories you might want to share, but obviously no pressure. You maybe think about that I have a few photographs of relatives and diaries from when I was little, but I don't know own any furniture from the past. The letters I have that relative, relatives, friends, or old lovers have sent to me are all in a box or two at my parents in Sweden. I guess now that I live in a house that belongs to me, I should try to ship all those boxes back to myself. Well, one day, and not today. From the words you shared about her, I could feel Miss Marsha's love and care. I could also picture a little Amy offering her grape gum. Man, I've, I've listened to your letter a few times, and I tear up every single time, but at different places. If it's not about how Miss Marsha's managed to get her card to you, then it's her poem, which is so incredibly beautiful, or your offering of grape gum. It also made me want to sit in the sun and chew grape gum. I'm going to look for it next time I'm at the store. I haven't read Eric Frum, but your ideas on self-love ring true to me. If I think back on my childhood, I don't think my parents taught me to love myself, but that's not to say they did something wrong by not teaching me the notion of self-love. I don't think they knew what it was themselves. And just thinking about my own love for myself, if I can phrase it that way, it's taken a tremendous amount of work to reach a good, if not always stable, but a good place. For me, it's also involved shedding layers of guilt and shame. But I, I've been lucky too. I've made some bad choices in relationships and friendships, but there were always some good people who helped me along the way. And even if the intentions of some of my past teachers were questionable, I was grateful for any guidance. I guess it's really not until quite recently in these past few years where the amount of self-love I have correlates with the people in my life. I only know good people. Does that, I don't know, does that make any sense? Like, I love myself, and that's why I have good people in my life. And good people are in my life because I love myself. I don't know, they're just, they just somehow feel connected, at least for me. And I guess whether or not I'm good to them, well, I guess, yeah, that's another question, another letter. Um... Do you remember that we recently texted about our intro letter and we both paused on the words lonely and alone, trying to decide between the two? A friend introduced me to the British poet David White, and there's an episode on the Lonely Hour podcast where he talks about the relationship between these two words. It was very touching to hear a poet make the distinction and the connection. I'll send you the link. He also talked about how we don't really ask for help from others, like we're so trained these days to not be helpless. I thought a lot about that when a friend of mine called me in tears this week. 
She was stressed and worried about a number of things in her life, and while I tried to help and support her on our call, it also felt rare to do that for a friend. I remember thinking how brave she was for just allowing herself to admit her emotions in front of me. I know she was hurting. So I read Paradise Rot, and um, I really appreciate you telling me about it. Um, there's so much in the book that I would like to talk to you about, and so many favorite scenes I would want to read to you. I guess the first thing that comes to mind, and you might get a kick out of this, is that um, I feel like it's the kind of book for anyone who doesn't find Sally Rooney's books interesting. I appreciate how much Paradise Rot is not interested in being like anything else. And, I, and it's not to say that it's trying to do that, it just feels like it exists on its own playing field. And I think that only adds to the angst that the protagonist is feeling throughout the book. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a very mm, bombastic book. It's also not slow. The pacing of it reminded me of when fruit molds. Does fruit mold or does it, do you just say that it rots? I guess things mold and fruit rots, yeah. Anyway, you, you, you think nothing happens for the longest time and so you look away, but then the picture is completely different when you look again. It's suddenly come alive in a different way. Creating that state and vibe felt very impressive to me. And I have so many questions about what is going on in the book, but I also like that she leaves things unanswered. And so many sections are kind of like a dreamlike state. Or multiple dreamlike states. I also don't think I have read a book where there are so many descriptions of urine <laughs> or of people urinating. Um, and I kind of love that. Um, it's definitely a nice pairing with The Vegetarian by Hong Kong, um, which I remember enjoying a lot. The, that, but that book had more of a feverish feeling, like the protagonist was slowly glowing than burning. And at times, it, there's something more asexual about Joe in Paradise Rot. She's kind of an outsider who doesn't look and talk like everyone else. I was thinking that often the imagery around ripened fruit is sexual or overtly sexual, and I, I welcome the stillness of the abandoned brewery they live in. Even in the stillness, there is movement, and um, I loved how the writer slowed down the pace so you sit with Joe's emotions the same way you can sit and watch things rot in their place, in their home, in their bowl. So, thank you again for telling me about this book. I actually think it will help me a lot with what I'm trying to write myself. The, um, the other night we watched a movie called L'Avenir. L'Avenir? Um, the English title is Things to Come, which is kind of forgettable. Um, but it stars Isabelle Hubert, um, and it was directed by Mia Hansen Love, um, a French director I hadn't heard of before. And it's a kind of tricky movie to describe, even though the plot is pretty straightforward. I don't want to say it's simple to undermine its beauty, but it's a pretty quiet movie. It's shot, it's shot mainly in Paris during warm summer, summer days, which was much needed escapism for both of us. It made me think of how my mind is handling my memories these days. 
It's like a carousel slide projector of mostly soft recollections. I'm in Paris, resting my drunken head on a friend's windowsill. I'm sleeping on the beach in Cinque Terre, and mosquitoes are waking me up. I'm waiting for the purple train to arrive in an empty platform in Helsingborg. I'm lying on the ground at Tate Modern, looking up at Olafur Eliasson's son. I'm recording my heartbeat on the Japanese island Teshima. I'm playing in the mud with my red and blue overalls on. I'm collecting rocks along a shore. I'm eating strawberries my mother has grown. I'm hiding cigarettes from my parents. I'm walking out of the BAM theater during the golden hour of the day. I'm buying a coat on sale and rain is pouring down outside. I'm being driven through North London and my friend tells me how Elliot Smith died. I'm in line at Dwayne Reed. I'm listening to a busker while the escalator moves me further away from the singer. I'm drinking Red Bull in the English fiction section of the main library at university. I'm nervously talking to Sophie Cal at 92Y. I'm holding Ryan's hand at Whole Foods. I'm laughing during a dinner party. It's like the more confined I am to my home, the more my memories reassure me of so much I've already done. So many simple things. The many, many simple things. I feel them all over again. How are your memories treating you, Amy? Um, thank you again for your letter. I'm sending you love. Take good care. Sil. So.